This episode of the GCSAA podcast is being presented in partnership with our friends at Bayer Environmental Science. As anyone who has worked with the company will tell you, Bayer is a company committed to providing technical expertise and innovative solutions that maximize turf quality and make superintendents' jobs easier. For more information, head to the web and check out environmentalscience.bear.us and look for the Turf and Ornamentals Management link. As always, our thanks to everyone at Bear for their continued support of this podcast. Well, we've done it. We're back once again, this time with episode 28 of the GCSAA podcast. I'm Scott Hollister, the editor-in-chief of Golf Course Management Magazine and the humble host of this podcast, and I appreciate you taking the time to check us out. On this episode, we go in-depth with GCSAA's new president, Mr. Mark Jordan. Mark is a certified golf course superintendent, a longtime member of GCSAA, and someone who has dedicated himself to giving back to both his community and his industry. We talk with Mark about his long career in golf course management, his long tenure at Westfield Country Club in Westfield Center, Ohio, and what he hopes to see the association accomplish in the next 12 months as he serves as GCSAA's 85th president. You know, I've known Mark uh, for quite some time, and I've always found him to be such a thoughtful, forward-thinking individual, someone who is uh, really grounded and comfortable in his own skin, which I think we can all agree are perfect characteristics for someone coming into the role at this particular time in our history. So I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with new GCSAA president, Mark Jordan. If you haven't already, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review the GCSAA podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. It really does help us out when you do that. And while you're there, you can go back and check out any of the previous 27 episodes that we've done. There's a lot of great uh, content out there uh, to help you get through a workout, a walk around the course, or whatever you might be doing. So feel free to give those a look in the archives at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by searching for the podcast over at the GCSAA website. So with that, let's get after it. It's episode 28 of the GCSAA podcast and my conversation with GCSAA's 85th president, Mark Jordan. Okay, Mark Jordan is joining us today. Mark is uh, a 34-year GCSAA member, a certified golf course superintendent. He is the natural resource leader at Westfield Country Club in Westfield Center, Ohio. And I buried the lead a little bit. He is also GCSAA's 85th president. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for taking thanks for taking some time. And you and I have been working quite a lot together. I'll reference uh, again later, but uh, um, you can read a full profile of Mark in the March issue of GCM and on GCMonline.com. But uh, I wanted to I wanted to start off, Mark, with uh, you assumed the presidency here a few weeks back uh, during the uh, uh, the golf industry show, the annual meeting and election during that event, and obviously that was a virtual event uh, this time around. And you've been a part of those meetings for many years, um, either through your role with the, the chapters in Ohio, probably, or, or, or on the National Board of Directors. I, I'm curious, what was that experience like? You've seen what it's like when, when you're in person. What was that experience like uh, doing the entire meeting and election uh, in a virtual setting? So it, it, it was obviously unique, right? And, um, you know, with it being the first time that we'd gone through the election virtually, um, I thought the team did a phenomenal job of setting setting it up and, and executing the, the election. But for me personally, um, it was kind of like another Zoom meeting, if you will, you know, and, and yeah. just the, the process was, was unique. But, you know, it was... I, reflecting on it, it was interesting. You know, I like cool and unique. And so for me, when, when we made the decision in the summer of 2020 to go virtual, um, I thought, well, okay, disappointment because we wouldn't be there physically. But I'm thinking, cool, I'll be the first ever uh, GCSA president elected virtually. And, uh, you know, in addition to that, I'm like, hey, I could be, you know, an answer to a GCSA Trivial Pursuit game someday, right? Um, That's right. You know, first uh, president <laughs> elected virtually. Hey, it was our That's 85th right. president, Mark Jordan. Um, yeah. you know, so it, it was, you know, it was uh, pretty good. I, you know, I, I, I'm happy with, with how that rolled out. And, uh, you know, the one thing, Scott, that, that really, um, when we made that decision, just for me personally, 
Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about John here in a little bit, but my, my mentor, John Spodnik, and I, a few years ago, set it up that, um, hey, when I'm president, when Mark's president, that John would go wherever it was uh, to the annual election meeting and, and uh, be in the lead of the, the promenade of, of the elected president. And so uh, I know John was really looking forward to that. So was I. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't uh, come to fruition. But John was able to be the part of uh, the annual election through just viewing. And also, um, I really like the past president's messages um, I thought that was a, a nice touch, and I appreciate everybody that participated in that and some some very good um, uh, messages. And uh, the very last clip was one of John who uh, expressed his um, 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 he expressed how proud he was of, of our relationship and the fact that uh, you know I was uh, be being elected as eighty uh, fifth president of GCSA. Well, that that is. I mean, there are certain there are many bright sides to to virtual meetings like that, and that that's certainly one of them to to allow John the opportunity to yeah. uh, to, to be there with you and and to, and to celebrate that achievement. I, I know as a um, a member of the board, um, you get a lot of uh, feedback on on these various events, and um, you know what we're hearing anecdotally about the overall virtual experience at GIS has been has been relatively positive. Everyone that I've interacted with, members who came by the virtual GCM booth, or or people I've spoken to since, have really been have really been positive about the experience, obviously missing the, the in-person um, experience that we would have had in Las Vegas. But um, I, what, what's, what is the board of directors hearing from uh, members uh, and exhibitors uh, about, the, about the virtual experience? Yes, yeah, so I think from our members, and I think uh, most of the board, if not all the board during GIS were reaching out to uh, members and, and getting their feedback. So if we need to make adjustments in stream that we get that feedback and we're able to do that. But, but I think most of the comments from our members were the fact that, wow, this is, this is great. And it's even exceeding my expectations. They really like the, the ability to, you know, sit in the, uh, the commander seat, if you will, and, and pick and choose um, depending on what their level of, of uh, registration was, pick and choose their educational session. They could go back, they could see the opening session, they could see the power hours uh, and at the turn and all of those uh, good things. So um, there's a lot of good feedback from there, but, you know, post GIS from our members, like it was nice, but we still like that physical element of it, right? Just right. describe, you know, we like the, the networking, the socializing and, and so forth. So um, a little work to do on that, but from an exhibitor standpoint, uh, as uh, post GIS, we've reached out to, to many of our exhibitors and have identified the fact that Wow, they uh, they were impressed with the with the entire show. Um, they've had touches that have far exceeded their expectation, and uh, they were just they were um, glad it went off like it did. I think once again, I think it exceeded their expectations as well. And the, the beauty of the um, GIS extending beyond uh, that standard week, right? Extending uh, the 30 days is the fact that when we continue as a board to look at the numbers, they continue to grow, right? Because of the on-demand element. And right. so, you know, I think the exhibitors are seeing that and saying, wow, you know, we just have this snapshot in time at the physical meeting that, you know, we're, we're really tight, but this extended day, the, this on-demand element is really, you know, helping run traffic through um, our booths. So I think the, I think it's a win-win, but yeah, I think yeah, we all know that we have some work to do in trying to figure out what the, the 2022 um, GIS looks like. Right. I mean, a lot of great lessons learned, I think, and we will talk about, uh, about 2022 in San Diego a little bit later. Um, the reason, obviously, that the event was virtual was because of the pandemic. And I have, throughout the course of the pandemic, people who've been coming on the podcast, um, we've talked a lot about their experiences. And so I wanted to, 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 to offer that to you, too, because you certainly had a unique um, thing going on at Westfield as the pandemic took hold. And as restrictions took hold, um, so what 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 was that like from you personally uh, and professionally? Um, you were doing a renovation, uh, finishing a pretty extensive renovation of of the entire facility at, at Westfield, but one course in particular. So, uh, kind of walk walk us through, you know, 
How did all that play out for you? What what has the experience been like uh, for you in Northern Ohio? Sure. Well, uh, maybe just take a step back. Um, so Westfield Country Club, Scott, I know you know this, but others may not know, is owned by Westfield Insurance, right? And so property casualty insurance company that employs about roughly uh, 2,500 employees. So if you think of the scope of impact, it wasn't just the golf course team. It was 2,500 employees of Westfield Insurance, right? And so we're in the hospitality business unit. But, you know, as the pandemic was unfolding, um, Westfield, just like GCSA, transitioned over to remote work, right? Very smoothly. However, you know, the essential employees were identified. And of course, golf course maintenance team was identified as a group of essential employees. So, so what did that mean for us? It mean it meant, you know, the, the standard maintenance operation of our practice facility in South Golf Course. But then also, to your point, we we're finishing up a, a, a major renovation on the North Golf Course. And so trying to finish that up and <clears throat> knowing that. You know, our our vendors were coming in from out of state. Um, we had to develop some mitigation plans with with that. So, what happens if Landscapes Unlimited, who was our general, couldn't make it back into Ohio because of travel restrictions? Right. So, right. Um, I met with my boss, and, and we developed some mitigation strategies that we reached out to local contractors, local golf course contractors, local uh, vendors uh, to ensure supply chain wasn't impacted, uh, and so we developed a. a I guess, plan B, if you will. And, and uh, unfortunately, I should say, we didn't have to go to plan B. You know, we're able to execute. Landscapes Unlimited was able to come back in, um, uh, obviously under uh, CDC guidelines and protocol. Um, but we were able to to have them come in. Um, I think it was mid, mid-April, I think they came in, maybe late April. Uh, but they were able to execute the the uh, the remainder of the project as, as we had hoped. Well, that's all going on. So you're balancing all that work there there locally. You're also obviously serving as vice president of, or just, yeah, just had taken over as vice president of GCSAA. So you're also dealing with how is the association more broadly going to deal with that? Um, and how is it going to participate in the work to keep golf open or reopen golf in, in states and municipalities all over over the country. So from your broader view, what what was what was that like to have a seat at the table um, as the game of golf began to figure out, okay, how does this impact us? How do we keep our our, our operations running? What what was that experience like? So um I, people may look at this response and say, well, that's kind of weird, but I thought it was exciting to be on the front edge. And I think all of the directors, you know, being involved at their facility and trying to understand and knowing that each state was really doing different things, right? So how do we collectively bring it all together and provide our members, um, you know, advice and guidance and, and so forth? And I, I go back to Westfield here. You know, we, um, we elected to stay closed, right through the month of April. Well, that that time period in March where everything was just in a state of flux and who's in charge? Is it state health department? Is it the governor? Is it the local health department? Who's in charge? Um, You know, those were some of the the questions at the state level too, right? So not only were we involved at the national level in trying to help create continuity and understanding with our members across the country, we're, we're trying to do it in our states too. And so whether it's John Fulling in Michigan or T.A. Barker in Utah or Mark Jordan in Ohio, how can we help uh, the industry? And so what we would take, would we would take from our um, facility um, guidelines and, and we would bring them in and say, hey, you know, during our, our board meetings to say, hey, this is what, what we're doing in Ohio or this is what we're doing in Michigan or we're not even open yet. We're not even deemed essential workers. So right. we're still spinning our wheels. So. It was that that collective collaboration, if you will, of of the board, and also we knew that it was important for you know our members to know that we were working on it, right? And so, uh, Rhett did a phenomenal job of of um, working with the We Are Golf group uh, in 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 reporting to us what the We Are Golf group was 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 doing, so that we could convey that to our members. We started um, town hall meetings, if you recall back then, you know we. Right. Weekly town hall meetings to 
make sure that everybody was up to speed. And if anybody had questions, we were there to answer them. And, uh, you know, a lot of the early town hall meetings involved our, our governmental affairs team, right? Uh, Hava and Michael and, and Bob and, and just uh, to keep everybody apprised. So I'm very proud of, of how we handled that. And once again, I think Rhett and the team did, did a very good job And the board was just, you know, our goal was to support in any way that we could. Yeah, I, I, it certainly identified the the value of relationship building, and uh, it, it it the the success that golf had, I, I think, was certainly a part of the hard work that was going on early during the pandemic. But it also really goes back to the hard work that took place years in advance um, from the you know from our our perch the the government affairs work that you mentioned, um, our, the GCSA's field staff program, who was establishing relationship with state legislatures. And when push come to shove, those connections had already been forged. And I think that was a, a big part of the, the success and why golf was able to kind of get things turned around and reopened where it had been closed uh, more quickly than maybe some other uh, similar industries. Sure. And I think there's a lot of credence to that relationship building element. And, you know, at, at my facility, we have a, uh, a mantra amongst uh, my staff is that you build those relationships with members in good times for the bad times. And when the bad times come, you know, you're going to have them. Right. So when the bad times come, that relationship builds trust, respect and understanding that you're going to do the right thing. And so as uh, you know, whether we do it at our facilities or as we do it as an industry out there, that's you're exactly right, Scott. That's you know one of the primary reasons why we do that. So that when we get in tough times, or there are tough legislative items out there that we need to discuss, that that we can trust and respect one another and, and understand the perspectives here. Yeah, and uh, as we look at 2021, um, obviously some <clears throat> excuse me some optimism um, as as we approach that year. How are you seeing the coming year in, in terms of, of what it, what it looks like for golf? Um, and, and really what it looks like for GCSA, we'll get in, in more depth into in some of the GCSA stuff a little bit later, but, um, uh, what are you hearing? What are you, what are you seeing as it, uh, um, approaches uh, the rest of this year? Yeah. So I think golf itself, uh, I think we've all seen the reports that, you know, the rounds are, are, are up record rounds, right? 2020 was a record round year. And I think there are a lot of influences with that. Number one, you know, people wanted to get outside, but other, you know, others, um, youth activities may have been canceled. You're not traveling as much as you were doing. So you're going to look for an outlet. And I think many found golf as an outlet. As we turn to, to 2022, you know, we're hopeful that we can sustain that, right? But then also, you know, keep those uh, individuals who started playing golf last year, keep them engaged with the game of golf. And, you know, for me, I look at, you know, our industry is, is uh, this could be a very obvious statement, but we have golf courses, right? And we also have the club element, the food and beverage, the, uh, the membership and, and so forth. And my concern is, you know, are our clubs going to be able to survive, um, you know, because of, of losses in the F and B area and maybe member member reduction. Yeah. So I look at it beyond just, just the golf, the, the, the putting the peg in the ground, but, but from a club standpoint, how does that impact the club industry? Uh, even from, you know, public golf, right? You know, how, how does that, uh, that F&B element and that um, loyalty and, and customer, return customer, et cetera, how is that impacted? Uh, because of maybe some financial uh, straits that some of the regulars are, are facing. So more to come on that. But I think as we move out, as the vaccines are rolled out, and as we move to more, uh, quote unquote, open society, if you will, right. I think we'll, we'll continue to prosper. But we just, if we want to, you know, if we want to, you know, keep the, the energy going, we just need to make sure that, that those who uh, started golf last year are still engaged with it when, when things opened up in, in 2022. Yeah, uh, time to keep the eye on the prize and make sure make sure that momentum is maintained as we go ahead. So, well, let's. Uh, I want to turn talk about you, embarrass you a little bit, let you talk about yourself. Um, you're a pretty humble guy, but uh, um, some interesting conversations that you and I had uh, in working on the the feature story for GCM. And, and I know that um, from an early age, you have been enamored with the game of golf. Um, that you really, uh, your wife, Melinda told me that you were one of the few people she, she knew in high school who knew exactly 
what they wanted to be in high school and actually followed through on that, you know, other than like a rock star or a relief pitcher or something. But um, what, what was your, what was your aha moment? Uh, is there, is there something that you look back on and go, gosh, that was the moment where it just clicked in that this is absolutely something I want to do for the rest of my professional life. So um, if this is possible, I had two aha moments. All right. And so one was my very first time on a golf course, right? When I stepped foot on a, a golf green, I think um, this is way back. I don't want to bore you with this, but it's way back. Um, I, I must have been about five or six. And my dad went to a, a driving range to, to hit some golf balls. And, uh, you know, I just watched him standing there. We walked over to a putting green. It's like, wow, it was, it was carpet. I thought it was carpet. And, uh, through conversation, uh, however you converse with your father at that age, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is grass. And it's like, oh, really? Wow. This is, this is cool. And so that kind of stuck in the back of my mind, like, wow, golf is, is pretty cool. And I really like the outdoor carpeting, right. That it provides. Right. That's right. And, um, so, you know, uh, I shared the story with you that, you know, as I was in middle school and you know, I used to hawk balls at the local mom and pop golf course, to, uh, just to, to sell. Right. And then, uh -huh. you know, um, the more we spent time down there, the more it's like, Hey, this, this is pretty cool. You know, we, we'd walk away back then, you know, we had maybe you know, two or three dozen golf balls selling for a quarter piece. And you walk out, go back home with like five bucks in your pocket. You're like a millionaire, right? That's right. That's right. It's like, Hey, you know, this is kind of cool. You can make money at the golf course. Right. And so, um, you know, it just kind of parlayed into, I spent a lot of time down there at the golf course and then, you know, having, you know, um, uh, my business put out of business, uh, in, in, yeah. um, uh, joining the, the team at the mom and pop, uh, uh, operations, uh, beginning to wash golf carts. And the more I talked to some of the, uh, more seasoned people at the golf course, the more I became, Hey, this is, this is what I want to do. And I'll never forget talking to my dad about it. Um, uh, I think it was my uh, junior senior summer uh, in high school between my junior year and senior year, I uh, told my dad that I really wanted to uh, look at this as a career. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, well, can you make a living at this? Right. That was his number one concern. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I, I think so. Uh, didn't, yeah. <laughs> all I knew at that time was, was public golf and in, in, in mom and pop operation. But, um, you know, as I grew through that year, um, I became more acquainted with the careers in golf, and, and I, I shared with you the opportunity to go to Ohio State ATI on a on a uh, college club uh, field visit, and then I, you know, I dug dug more and more into that. And it's like, yeah, I finally got back to my dad and said, I can make a living at this. Yeah, <laughs> probably the biggest um, aha moment I had as far as a profession was during my internship, my very first day as an intern at Elyria Country Club. I remember riding out on a uh, on the golf course to I think it was we were raking bunkers or something like that and and we come out of the maintenance facility we drive around the cart path and there before me lie these finely manicured fairways these tees that were just perfect and it dawned on me that this is really a profession. These are the best of the best. Yeah. And and so for me that just solidified the fact that I was in the right field and I wanted to make a career of, of golf course management. Have you ever thought, is, is there any other interest if you hadn't gone into that? Was, was there anything else tugging at you at any, at any point or did that, did golf just in, in golf course management just have its claws in you from the get-go? Yeah. So I, I, I truly feel that, that golf course management had its claws in me. Um, yeah. However, there were opportunities you know, along the way. Um, so I think I shared with you when I was, uh, at Ohio State down in Columbus that I would come back uh, on the weekends. My wife was playing basketball at Ashland University. So obviously she wasn't my wife then. She was my girlfriend. Yeah. So I'd come up on the weekends, but I also wrote sports, right? So I wrote sports, yeah. wrote paper, put some money in my pocket, um, got paid for traveling, got the you know the free Friday night meal, if you will, paid for by the, the company. Uh, and That's right. Sports. And for me, that, that always intrigued me uh, about how you tell a story, right? And learned a lot about that. I did it for, I think, 
two and a half years, but I learned a lot about, you know, perspective and, you know, the user yeah. and how as a parent, how as a coach, how as just a, somebody that didn't attend the game, you know, how that story was told. So um, I have an inkling for that, but also I spent um, one, two, three, probably five years in two different locations as assistant varsity basketball coach. Um, so I love the game of basketball. And there's nothing better than sitting on the sidelines on a Friday night, you know, looking at your game plan and your scouting reports and all the preparation you did. And when that, when the national anthems played and that ball goes into the air on Friday night, it's just making those adjustments in game adjustments. So, yeah. you know, between journalism and, and basketball coaching, I think that might have been you know, another career opportunity for me. But rest assured. Um, I'm in the right spot. I chose the right career and, and uh, not looking back. That's right. Well, we're going to put your journalism skills to use through the president's message. You got you knocked the first one out of the park. So one down, eleven to go huh, on those. So um, I wanted to, you mentioned you mentioned John Spodnik earlier and the role he played. Um, uh, listeners might might know the name John. He was GCSA president in 1969. 60-plus-year member of, of GCSAA. He's really a, a legend in the turf grass industry, uh, especially in the state of Ohio, but really outside the, the borders of that. Um, for those who maybe don't know John, tell us, uh, tell us a little about why he was so important to you, why he was so influential in, in setting you on the path to a career in this business and, and also kind of service to the industry through the chapters there in Ohio and ultimately now with GCSAA? Sure. Well, I first met John, uh, and I shared this with you in our, our uh, interview. So I first met John in, in uh, January of 1983. I was looking for an internship, right, uh, coming out of uh, Ohio State ATI. And, and as it worked out, it was great. Um, so I, I uh, set up a, an interview with John and came in. I quite Frankly, I didn't know who John Spodnik was at that point in time. I just knew Westfield, 20 minutes from my home with where, where I lived and uh, be a good commute and, you know, pretty decent golf course. Uh, and so I sat down with John for actually it was supposed to be five minutes. It was probably more like two minutes. He said, hey, we don't have any positions here. Sorry, um, no internships, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like I just kind of walked out of there. It's like, wow, why did I even come here? Right. You know, <laughs> like, so um, that lasted, that gave me a lasting impression um, of, you know, from an interview standpoint of, of um, not necessarily how to interview, but, but going into it to, to maybe sell yourself a little more. So I obviously trust and respect the fact that they didn't have any internships, but you know, you get the foot in the door looking back now with a guy like John Spodnik, you know, you got to take advantage of that. So you right. know, fast forward, um, I guess five, six years later. And, um, and I got a call, I was working at Col in Columbus at Winding Hollow Country Club. And I got a call uh, from a gentleman by the name of Dave, Dave Sides, um, who was real estate uh, vice president. My wife, by the way, um, had been working for Westfield as a field marketing rep in, in Cincinnati. And so um, Dave called me and said, hey, John Spodnik and I would like to talk with you, right? And so um, at that point in time, the gentleman who was running the South Course at Westfield had developed brain cancer, a very unfortunate situation, uh, but they knew that I was in the business. So um, set up an interview with John and uh, unlike my internship interview, um, <laughs> Or my, that interview with John lasted about two hours. Very good discussion, very good dialogue, and really get to know us each other in depth. And I could tell right away that, that John was highly respected. Um, kind of a clandestine um, interview because John asked me to meet at the old post office in Westfield and let's <laughs> room. And, and uh, so uh, we did. And uh, but as we were in the post office, I noticed a couple of people interacting with John and you could just tell that I didn't know who they were, but, but John commanded a lot of respect from them. John was very active in the village. And um, so the more we talked, we set up a second interview and uh, um, we hit it off, um, at least in the interview process. And uh, um, my future was set for me if, if I did what I needed to do. And, and fortunately, uh, we're able to, to, uh, make a to be a 33 year career of it here at Westfield. And yeah. I joke with John a little bit because uh, you asked me, you know, what, what does John or how has John uh, developed that meaning to me as a meaningful mentor? Um, 
first years weren't weren't real um, amiable, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure John would admit this, and he probably admit a few other things too. That, that <laughs> looking back, um, there are some really silly things that you know we all we all live and learn and, and grow from. And I don't think I really appreciated and respected the the fact that I had this wonderful. Um, wise mentor and industry leader uh, in front of me. I wanted to to you know set myself in in apart and, and be my own guy, right? But you know, as John was approaching retirement, which was probably I started in the fall of '88. John retired, I believe, in '94. But as we approached that time, you know, I realized um, you know what John meant to Westfield, to the industry, and, and quite frankly, to me, unbeknownst to me, right? Um, right had led me and provided a great deal of mentorship. John was also secretary treasurer of the Northern Ohio GCSA, even during his year as, as a GCSA president for about 34, 35 years as well. Wow. And so wow. John would, um, after work, John would have all of these mailing labels and all of these notices that needed to go out in the mail. And John was pretty much a one-man band, right? And so he would ask me, hey, Mark, you want to help me put the labels on these uh, envelopes so we can get these mailed out? And so those times that we did that work, great one-on-one time, he would talk about you know GCSA and the history of the Northern Ohio and, and what it's meant for him to volunteer and help support uh, the industry. So I look back on those times as, you know, as I matured that it wasn't just putting a label on an envelope. It was about him sharing his experiences and the value and importance of volunteering for, uh, for the industry. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think when we're when you're going through that, you don't always in, in the moment you're not appreciating that. Hey, this guy is teaching me some life lessons. It's the same. It's the same in, in my in my career in in, in writing and publishing and communications. And I look back at the people who I, I now either act like or. Or, or have taken great lessons from me, and I, clearly at the at the time I, I didn't I didn't ap- appreciate that. So um, you do I, I know that you do, and I always, I just feel lucky that you've had I've had those kinds of experiences, even if it took me quite some time to to uh, to fully appreciate them. Um, I, I I do want to pivot to 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 GCSA real quickly though. You you had an, a a stint uh, while at Westfield. You mentioned you'd been there. You know, I guess I, I think it's thirty three years this year. Um, are you there at Westfield? Actually, 34 this year. It's 30. 34. Okay. So you're in 33 now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And you, through that time, you have, you had a number of different titles and, and positions, including a stint as, as a kind of a general manager, club manager uh, role there. Um, and, and just quickly, what was, what, what was it about that position that made you want to kind of take that on at that time and um, did did that experience uh, kind of fulfill what you were looking for uh, from a professional standpoint? Yeah, so uh, interesting transition to, to golf course management, the club management. I had um, at that time uh, another good solid mentor of mine. His name's Mark Farrell. He's uh, actually um, general manager at Danville Country Club uh, down in Danville, Kentucky. He had been uh, a Westfield employee uh, for, uh, I think, about 20 years. But um, he was a general manager uh, 98, 99. And then he was called into a, a, um, a corporate project where he had to split time between being general manager and, and his corporate uh, engagement. And so he was looking for somebody to step in and you know, support him in that role. And we'd spent in his uh, year and a half as GM, we spent a lot of time together. We, we just hit it off really well, shared the same life, life philosophies and so forth. And, and so he kind of took me under his wing and said, hey, I, I see you as a leader. I, at that point in time, I was um, transitioning from vice president to president of the Northern Ohio GCSAA. And, and he said, hey, if you really like to, to continue to grow, um, I'll give you an opportunity here at the club, right? And so I need a club manager to help me with membership, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, you know, what the heck? Um, 
let's give it a try. Um, it was never a career goal of mine, but you know, you never, um, for me, I, I, I right. pass up right. opportunities like that. So, um, through that year, so it was 2000 was my first year in, in 2000. I think that first year we, we hosted the, the junior PGA championship, uh, junior, and, and we were working toward our junior writer cup. Um, and so uh, a lot of activities going on. Matter of fact, I think that first year, um, we were planning for the junior PGA championship. 2001 was our first year as junior PGA championship host, but in any event, it provided me opportunities to, um, you know, understand the club world. And so, you know, you're thrust into the club management, you get people calling you at all hours as golf course superintendent. I was used to having this plan, having this schedule and just, okay, we're going to do this and, right. and rolling it out just like a, um, you know, a, an organized scheduled person would do. But I quickly learned in the club world, you have members stopping in um, and, and saying, hey, Mark, I, I, I need to talk to you for a little bit. And, you know, most of the times it wasn't pleasant, right? Uh, hey, want to right. <laughs> you know, uh, open door policy, you know, I want to be transparent. And, and there are some times early on that I, I learned real quick that, hey, you know what, you've got to manage this and you, you have to be um, um a leader per se, but, but no one to take those complaints and no one to, to say, Hey, I hear you. You know, I understand you got a complaint. We'll follow up. We'll check. We'll see. And then, you know, move on. But obviously making sure that you, you do all those things sure. you don't have to solve the world's problem in, in that, that moment where the, the members are maybe sometimes emotional uh, and, and so forth. So um, good lesson learned there. But then the other element was, you know, how do you fit all of the, for our, for Westfield in particular, there's the corporate element of it. And then there's, there's our um, membership element, private membership element of it too. And so trying to balance, you know, the corporate needs, um, priority number one, Westfield insurance corporate needs, there's no doubt about that. But then, you know, having the members understand that and parlay that too, especially members that come from different clubs, right? Where they're used to, you know, right. Right. Back at the club I belonged to, I was able to do this, and I think you need to do that, right? And so <laughs> their will on you, and it's like, eh, not going to work here. I'm um, just not going to work here. So um, some learning uh, opportunities through that. But, you know, looking back on that, Scott, uh, some some great uh, people that I worked with, some great experiences through either the Junior Ryder Cup, the Junior PGA Championship, and, uh, you know, learning that that. Um, operational side of, of club management. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, uh, uh, interesting. Uh, you always, there's always a bunch of different people playing on you, regardless of your position and, and different masters that you served. And, and West, you know, one of the things I, I enjoyed most about uh, working on, on the story was kind of learning a little bit about the company. I've always, um, you've obviously been a part of the board of directors, so we've known each other for a number of years. And, um, I've always been, been curious. I'm like, that's such, that's an interesting setup and, and ownership situation. And, I was certainly looking forward to, to taking a trip up there to, to visit you there. And um, the pandemic had other plans. So we've been probably done our fair share of Zoom calls. After this one, I'm, we might be done with them uh, for a while. But um, uh, interesting setup. And I'm sure it, it, it taught you a lot that you're, you're you know probably been able to apply to other things. So speaking of that, before before we wrap up, I want, I want to definitely pivot to the association uh, aspect and, and things that you're going to be focused on here in 21, uh, 21 and, and I do appreciate you taking so much time uh, for us today, Mark. Um, let's start. We talked a little bit about the golf industry show earlier um, and the pivot to a virtual event in, in 2021 as opposed to the in-person event we were all hoping for in Las Vegas. So um, uh, we now turn our attention full-time to, to 2022 and the event uh, in San Diego, um, you know, what do you what do you think we the association and the, and yourself and the board learned from the virtual event that can be applied and and what are kind of your hopes and focuses as we move uh, uh, towards towards this event uh, in twenty two hopefully uh, in sunny San Diego, California. Yeah, so you know, lessons learned uh, from twenty twenty one is the fact that you know we have many, many people that, that attended 2021 GIS that don't typically go to 
um, a, a you know an annual event off 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 site off location the physical meeting right sure what we have is particularly with the the uh, members that signed up their facility we have many um, non members that signed up staff members whether EMs or uh, spray techs or irrigation techs or, or just general uh, ground techs that were able to take in some of this uh, education. And so there's an element that we've captured that group, right? And so we want to be able to provide continuing education to that group, but we also have the flip side of, you know, exhibitors and, and the um, uh, superintendents and, and others who really like that, that physical, that social, that networking element that the regular GIS brings. So I think for us, it's about, you know, blending the best of both worlds there, taking advantage of this opportunity that we had in 2021 as a virtual meeting and say, how can we glean, you know, that, that element of it? It's, it's the, the, the ones that typically don't attend. And how can we use that for uh, future education for, you know, the, the facilities and, and those who maybe aren't members, and maybe we can flip those into memberships, right? And create a value add for, for sure. individuals. Sure. So I think that's the element of, you know, uh, of the conundrum, quite frankly. It's, you know, physical element. I think we're in agreement. Let's do it. But what about that virtual element that that we could bring those who don't typically attend to, to GIS? So that's really going to be our main focus. Um, we've got a lot of good feedback, as we talked earlier, on, on the 2021 show. But there's always that little caveat. Hey, this was great. Exceeded my expectation, but I can't wait to see it in San Diego. That's right. That's right. So that's right. So more to come on that, but uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on that early on here to uh, you know to to really discuss and dialogue what what, the, what that looks like. Yeah, it's a it's a year long process at GCSA for those for those who don't know we have some we've got some amazing uh, I've, I have some amazing colleagues that that spend a lot of time on not only the uh, the events the education the trade show uh, the golf tournament um, things like that and I think there's a uh, we are all as a staff <laughs> also eager to get get back in in person and, and see see GCSA members so uh, let's let's pivot to the environmental side uh, and talk BMPs um, the association. Uh, achieved a, a pretty important milestone um, in 2020 uh, with all 50 states uh, adopting statewide BMP plans. The focus now shifts to individual facilities and having those facilities adapt and um, kind of uh, mold those broader guidelines into things that are appropriate for individual facilities. Um, why Why is that step so important in in this initiative that's really been an important one for GCSAA for the last several years. Sure. So I think that's, uh, I think we all would agree that this is where the rubber meets the road in regards to environmental stewardship and, and BMPs at your facility. Um, I think we all know that we can have all of these state BMPs and they look look great in a binder and they look you know nice online, et cetera. But if they're not implemented, you know, they mean nothing. And so for us at the facility level, we need to make sure that we're walking the talk, right? And, and so we, we have this, we're doing this, and this is what we're doing at our facility. And the beauty of the, the BMPs, and, and um, I feel fortunate to have been on that very first BMP committee. I was chair of that committee with Mark and, and Dr. Unruh and, and, you know, into developing these BMPs. And one thing that we um, wanted to make sure of was that these BMPs were applicable to a variety of facilities, not just your high-end club that could, hey, if you need this, you must buy this to, to confine or right. to remain compliant with, with these BMPs. But we wanted to take it to that mom and pop course that I talked about that I first started at, right? And so the right. level uh, across the board is very important. And so, you know, for us, it's about you know, if we can engage, or it shouldn't be if, as we engage our, our facilities, that we can provide proof to our state legislators that this is what we're doing. We are we are land managers. We are um, stewards of our environment, and this is what we're doing. We're consistent across the board, 
with how we approach uh, you know our operations. So that's the important element, so that we can so we can sing our songs to the legislators at the state level, and then parlay that into um, the national level too. And so um, if we have you know nineteen thousand facilities across the country, or it was fifteen thousand, I think facilities across the country now, and can say that we've got you know high level participation of these facilities, um, then you know. It puts us in a good light and we can we can then go to Washington, D.C. and feel confident about here's who we are and here's what we do across the country. Yeah, we, and we, you know, we talked earlier about the, the value of being proactive and establishing relationships yeah. um, as it related to the pandemic through the field staff program and, and GCSA's broader government affairs uh, work. It's a, it's a similar story here. If, if facilities are doing the right thing on a day to day basis, when other things come up. And legislators begin to look at perhaps different re- you know, regulations and rules. Um, they'll know. They'll look. Look, golf has been doing the right thing for a long time already, and they have this very set out plan in place. It, it, it's just it, it's it's one and the same. We saw success with the pandemic with being proactive, and I think uh, a long term BMPs um, will will show a very a, a similar benefit. Yeah, and I think one other thing, you know, to add to that, Scott, is the fact that we we need to help our members get through the enigma that this is a huge project that I've got to sit down and spend days or weeks right. through and setting up this this facility BMP when actually that's not the case. We need to communicate and educate the fact of the matter that these state BMPs are really um, just a, a plug and could be a plug and play for your facility, right? Just put your club's logo on it. Now you put your club logo on it, then you have to walk the talk, right? You need to make, That's right. it can't just be a, a feel good. Hey, I got this. You need to make sure that you're executing that, but really it's, you know, make a few changes, uh, uh based on your facility. And there you have it. We've worked hard on that at Westfield. We, we spent a lot of time. I shouldn't say a lot of time, but we spent uh, probably, uh, I had, three guys looking at this for a couple hours. So, uh, you know, maybe a total of 12 man hours to, to get this done, right? And we looked yeah. up and down, inside and out. And so um, also each year you can review that at your facility and make any adjustments that you need, right? So it's a living document sure. because absolutely in 2020 doesn't necessarily mean you have to create a new one in 2025, but you just keep absolutely. It. So, and uh, anyway. Uh, so I, I just I feel we need to, to to help our members understand that. One last thing I want to mention, I'll give you a chance, to, and I want to talk diversity and inclusion. Um, it's obviously a big topic, um, and it's something that you made it a, a, a point of uh, emphasizing as a part of your year uh, as GCSA president. Golf has uh, programs in place to to become more diverse, to become more uh, inclusive, um, and, and it, it it's something that I know interests you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what what's already in place from a GCSA perspective, uh, and where you'd like to see it go um, in your year as president, and then obviously in in the years to come past that? Sure. So I think um, Rhett and the team inside the walls at headquarters have done a, a phenomenal job. It started with, uh, and of course you're 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 exposed to this as well, Scott. Um, started a, a diversity and inclusion um, task group with employees at, at, at headquarters. And so what what that task group is looking at is how do we how do we look at things differently, right? Whether it's scholarship whether it's research, whether it's employment opportunities, whether it's careers in golf, whatever that looks like, you know, how, how can we uh, make adjustments as we need to? And, and so I think that's a big step uh, in, in the right direction from our, from our organization. Uh, we look at task groups and committees. What are the makeup of the task grouping committees? Uh, we need to, to have um, alternative perspective on, on those committees um, from from an industry standpoint, right? And so uh, we need um, um, minorities. We need you know, a variety of you know, the, the the male female element of it. Um, so just to gain that perspective, and then also to really understand how we can get more uh, involved with GCSAA and, and with you know careers in golf. 
so that's an element that I'm really excited about, and, and kudos to Rhett and the team for, for developing that internally. Um, as we look at it from a board perspective, um, we are starting um, what we're going to call the Diversity and Inclusion um, Advisory Council, where we're trying to, uh, we're looking to bring in those outside of the um, um, superintendent realm to look at what we're doing and provide um, feedback uh, and maybe a little different perspective and avenues for, you know, providing uh, careers in golf and, you know, other influences that will help us become more diverse. And we talk, we always talk about a labor shortage, right? We hear that right. across the country. Boy, um, H2B, we're, we're cutting back on, on H2B or, you know, kids don't want to work anymore. I just, you know, struggle with that. But there's a, there's a group out there, or several groups out there that if they knew that careers in golf was an option, you know, I guarantee you, Scott, that they would be knocking on our door saying, hey, I'm interested in this. You know, I yeah. see that. And that's part of the element of first green, Scott, right? We, we didn't haven't talked about first green, but going out. Right. Those, Absolutely. You know, elementary school, middle school and high school students to um, the environmental stewardship, the careers in golf, and, and the game of golf themselves, and so I think that element is going to be bringing, uh, be big and bringing you know diverse audiences to to our industry. And I'm a realist; not going to happen overnight, right? It's got to start somewhere, though. And so to, to flip us, absolutely, that hey, we're going to solve this problem in 21 and 22 not realistic. It's, it's, it's a growth, right? It's an evolution of how we change as, as, as an industry here. Well, it very, and very, very important, uh, not only is it the right thing to do, but as you mentioned, is, is to, to open eyes to, to the potential of, of what a career uh, in the business uh, can be. You've certainly made a long career, uh, of this business. And, uh, I appreciate you taking so much time today to talk to me. Listeners can check Mark out. He's going to become a social media star here, I'm sure, over the course of the next year. Uh, he's at Westfield Greens on Twitter. You can follow him there. You can Members are always welcome to email you, I'm, I'm sure, Mark, uh, with questions or, or comments. Uh, that's uh, mjordan at gcsaa.org. And as I mentioned at the uh, top of the podcast, you can... Uh, uh, read much more about Mark, uh, his lovely family, his work at Westfield Green, and his year to come as GCSA president on the March issue of GCM and on GCMonline.com. So, Mark, thanks for your time today. I uh, really, really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, Scott. As always, appreciate talking with you as well. Take care. Well, another episode of the GCSAA podcast is in the books. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with new GCSAA president, Mark Jordan. Really appreciated his time and his insights about his year to come as the association's 85th president. A reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the GCSAA podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also check out previous episodes you might have missed on all those same services, including recent episodes featuring Chris Ortmeyer from Champions Golf Club down in Houston, Texas, and a roundtable discussion about women in the turf grass management industry. And with that, we're out. My thanks once again to Mark Jordan, to the master of the mixer, our producer engineer, Evan Bissell, to everyone at Bear for their continued support of the podcast as our presenting partner, to the nine members of the GCSAA Board of Directors, to all my colleagues and coworkers at GCSAA headquarters in Lawrence, Kansas. And of course, my thanks to you for listening. We will be back very soon with another episode, but until then, Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will catch up again real soon on another episode of the GCSAA podcast.